Hear now the word of the Lord from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 28. This is the story of an episode in the very end of King Saul's life. And hear now the word of the Lord. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel and they encamped in Gilboa. Where Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me by spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know that's what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? Saul said, Bring up Samuel for me. Then the woman saw Samuel. She cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up. And he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me? Since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once, full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. This episode took place at night. And 
that's because darkness is the place of evil deeds. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And Saul knew what he was about to do was the most evil abomination in Israel. He was going to seek to bring up the dead in order to inquire. Here was the problem. God had gone silent. This was a silent night, but not the kind we sing about. This was a dark night, a dark night of Saul's soul, but not the kind that we give a ray of hope to. This is what happens when God goes silent. There's no answer. We read some weeks ago that there was a scarcity of the Word of God in the land when Samuel began his ministry. Samuel had had a long, profitable ministry. The latter part of his ministry had been inextricably entwined with the life and the reign of King Saul. But Samuel had died. And along with the death of Samuel came a dearth in the Word of God. The Word of God was again scarce in the land. And Saul had been so dependent upon Samuel all those years to give him advice and counsel. And so he had approached this massive army of the Philistines. We've been dealing with the Philistines throughout this whole thing. Now they've sort of strengthened themselves and they've moved into the interior part of Israel and they're about to move into the plains that will separate the southern mountainous area from the northern prairies and plains and beautiful uh, uh, agricultural land. In other words, they're going to cut them in half, which is a very good military strategy if you can pull it off. It's what the Philistines were about to do to Saul and Saul saw that they probably were going to be successful because they were well arrayed and they were well armed and they were in a a plane where they could use their chariots. And he was in despair and he sought the Lord. The way that the Lord was found in those days was by the Spirit of the Lord coming upon an individual and speaking to them in some way directly through a dream. And Saul had been numbered among the prophets and he had had these dreams and visions and Saul knew what it was like to hear from the Lord. But God was silent. There were no dreams. Another way the word of the Lord came to the people was by Urim and Thummim, a yes-no answer that came from the priest. But Saul had slaughtered 85 of the priests in the city of Nob in, in vengeance looking for David. He had taken the priesthood out of the land. Another way you inquire of the Lord is through the prophet. But Samuel was dead. And you remember in the study not long ago that Saul had gone to the school of the prophets. Samuel's seminary. And there he had had a strange experience. Rather than coming in and communicating and being one of the guys in the seminary and sharing with them the glories of the Word of God and the, and the things that Samuel had taught them together and all those wonderful things, instead, he fell naked at the border of the school and had this horrible, embarrassing, debilitating all-night 
laying naked in front of the people, the prophets. The prophets had rejected him. He had no more place among the prophets. God had gone silent. There was no way now for Samuel to hear from, for Saul to hear from the Lord. A lot of really good, strong Christians through the years have written about their dark nights of the soul. There are times when it seemed that the heavens had a floor of brass and their prayers could not get any higher than the rooftop. They couldn't find God. You know, I want to suggest to you often those moments come at great crisis. Saul was in a great crisis. The nation was in a great crisis again. That's when they come. They come in the hospital waiting room. They come in the funeral home parlor. They come in divorce court. They come in bankruptcy court. They come just in the horrible, decayed, broken, fallen relationships that we have with one another. And that's not the moment to figure out your theology. When God is far from you and God is quiet and there's no vehicle, no means that you can get to God and have Him hear you, there's no mediator, there's no daysman, there's nothing betwixt you and God that will work for you. That's a desperate place to be. That's a sad place to be. And the testimony of the saints through the ages is that God brings them through that dark night. And it may last for weeks or months or maybe years. But God eventually shows Himself. Opens the windows of heaven and let a ray of light come down and warm the soul and enlighten our understanding and show us Himself. That doesn't happen to Saul. It's not going to happen to Saul. I'll tell you right now. Saul is in a dead end. He's in a dark place. It's night. And before we get very far along in the story, he's going to be flat on his face in sheer desperation and exhaustion. The physical goes right along with the mental and the spiritual. We're together. We're a psychosomatic unity. It's hard to separate the two. The physical the emotional, the spiritual, is all bound in there together. Part of one psyche. And there Saul was. He had been virtually insane, driven. Look at the stuff that Saul had done. He had killed the prophets. He had tried to kill David. He had chased David down. He had done one horrible, horrible, godless deed after another disowned his family in some ways, deprived his daughter of her first love. Just go down the list of all the things that Saul in his depravity began to do. And now he is in absolute desperation and he does that which is absolutely desperate. desperate. He commits an abomination. He calls upon a medium. There needs to be somebody between me and, and God. And all he can think of is he needs Samuel. I just wish he had a thought that what he really needed was God and would have cried out like King David will cry out to the Lord, but he didn't. He sought Samuel. 
And he went to a necromancer. A necromancer is someone who brings spirits up or at least is somehow uh, seen to communicate with the dead. It's what the necro means. He's someone that communes with the dead. It's a pagan superstition. It was something that the Canaanites did. Let me read you a couple of verses out of the, out of the book of the law that will give you an idea of what God thought about these, these uh, sorts of people. Um, here's Leviticus 19, 26. You shall not interpret omens or fortunes. By the way, that same verse says, you shall not tattoo yourself. Could it be that a pagan culture begins to see more tattoos? I don't know. Listen to what the Word of the Lord says repeated in the book of Deuteronomy. And when you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughters as an offering. Slaughtering of infants. Pagan. The more pagan a culture is, the more infants are slaughtered. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a wizard or a necromancer. The Lord repeated that a few times, didn't he? For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. That is the Canaanites. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. While I'm here, let me just stop for a moment. We won't park, we won't camp, we'll just slow down a little bit. That's what the Lord calls us to do in any culture we're in, is to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. The Lord wants us to be different. The more we try to be like the world, the more we're apt to be like the world. The Lord wants us to be different. And there's all these practices of the Canaanites, all these pagan practices. He wanted God's people to be absolutely distinct and different. And they may be blameless before the Lord. God wants His people to be holy. He wants to sanctify unto Himself a peculiar people, <laughs> zealous of good works. That's what being conformed to the image of Christ is all about, is being different morally, even looking different, behaving different in every way. And that's what the Lord wants. And by the way, in this particular verse, I'm in chapter 18 of Deuteronomy, the very next verse after the passage I just read says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, like Moses, from among you, from your brothers. I will raise up from them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command. And whosoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Right there next to that prohibition against necromancy and fortune-telling and omens and soothsaying and all of those abominable Dark arts is a beautiful prophecy of the coming of Christ. 
who would be the true prophet of God, the true spokesman of God, the one we really need to listen to. And that's, of course, true even this morning. It is Christ, ultimately, whom we must listen to. We must obey His commandments. And it goes out, and I won't get too far enmeshed in that particular text, but he, he talks about how you can tell the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet. And, and that's a good, a good thing to know because it was a fine line in many ways. The seer, the prophet in the Old Testament, was someone who heard from the Lord divine oracle. And it was a fine line between hearing from the Lord and having a false prophecy. The prophets go on and on. Uh, I studied a whole list of them just to kind of get my mind. Uh, Hosea, Ezekiel, over and over they talk about the false prophets, the false seers, the false fortune tellers. There's a difference between fortune telling and telling about the prophecies of things that God has promised and things He will fulfill. They're both in the area of spirituality. Today we have a shift away from Orthodox Christianity among our people, and people are more concerned about being spiritual. I'd say that's something you better watch for. That's an awful thin edge we're on. When we extol spirituality, but we ignore the uniqueness of the revelation of the true God as it comes to us through principally, of course, Christ as He's testified to in the Scriptures in the Old Testament by prophecy, and in the New Testament by apostolic eyewitness. The testimony of Christ is the testimony that we're to follow. But, but back to Saul. He goes in and he inquires. Uh, there were numerous ways that they inquired in, in the uh, Old Testament, these, these soothsayers and diviners and necromancers, and I'll just mention a couple of them here. They're kind of interesting. One is they would take arrows and throw them in the air, and when they fell down, ever how they configured, that would give them some direction in life. That was used uh, quite a bit in the Old Testament, and you'll see it in the book of Ezekiel. God even calls Ezekiel to do that at one time to direct the steps of the king of Babylon as he moves in to take over Jerusalem. Interesting thing. Gazing into images, looking into the face of idols and seeing their apparitions, especially of ancestors. Just kind of looking into the face of an idol, trying to see the face of your ancestor, kind of asking yourself, what would grandmama do? To figure out what, what life was all about and what, what questions you need answered. One of the most interesting ones that's well known is they would take the entrails of the sacrificial animal, principally the liver, but sometimes the bowels and other organs, and they would see if they could discern things upon the surface and things about in those entrails that would give them some idea. Uh, one of the most interesting ones is uh, water. They would take water, either in a bowl or in a cup somehow, and they would, they would put some kind of oil or some kind of perfume upon the surface, and as that moved around, it formed designs, and, and they could look at that and, and see into the future. They would do that upon any slick surface, upon a crystal. That's where gazing into crystals would see if you could see images upon that, that very slick and reflective surf surface. They would give some indication. But the most abominable one of all was to try to reach back into the underworld and to, and, and to do business with the place of the dead. And that's what happens here. And so Samuel is called up. Now, there's a lot of debate among the scholars as to whether this really happened. I sort of think it's straightforward didactic history. <laughs> I just don't think there's just any place here where we can think this is a fanciful story. I think this is just exactly what happened. And God providentially allowed it to happen to accentuate exactly what it is because the whole uh, result of Saul going into the necromancer and having Samuel bring back, brought back was to 
was to indicate that there was nothing new in the message. You remember in, in the text as we read there, when Saul inquired, Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And he says, well, I need answers. And the Lord says, Samuel says, the Lord has turned away from you and become your enemy. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me because you did not obey the word of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath. Samuel has nothing new to say. There's no fresh word from the Lord. There's not a different answer to the question. It's exactly what it was as we studied some weeks back in chapter 15. Samuel said to Saul, you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you. It's just that simple. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Same message. Nothing changed. Really, in a sense, Saul wasted his time. In fact, he increased his misery by consulting the long-deceased Samuel in the afterlife. Same message. Saul falls emotionally, physically, spiritually exhausted. He is completely out of all the spiritual and physical and emotional energy a man can have. And of the passage that we, we didn't uh, read, there's one verse in there that said that Samuel, I mean Saul, fell on his sword and killed himself in the battle. This was the end. The end of Saul. There's one other little verse I want to read before I'm done, and that's 1 Chronicles chapter 10. This is a an account of this story by the chronicler. So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium, thus seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. What Saul did is he broke faith with the Lord. How is your faith this morning standing before the Lord? How is it placed? How is it positioned? How is it pointed? How is it focused? How is it carried out? What's the status of your faith? Breaking faith with the Lord is what God did. And it's interesting that he said, God put him to death. Wow. The text said he committed suicide. But the chronicler, the interpreter of Israel's history said, God put him to death. You ever thought about God being that personal and direct with a soul that he would put the soul to death? Well, I want to suggest to you, when God goes silent, the next thing you might expect 
is he'll put someone to death. This is a dark message. Remember Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it wasn't long before he yielded up his spirit. He breathed his last, he died. And the book of Isaiah says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. God put Jesus to death. He was smitten of God. Paul says it this way, he delivered him up. His own son, God just delivered him up. Gave him over to death. But in the case of Christ, he was dying that death. That awful death that Saul died. Put to death by God. An eternal punishment. Jesus was dying that death for us. God had gone silent and the wrath of God fell upon him and he died. This may be the most serious subject you'll ever deal with in your life. And you'd better not get past the point of repentance. God says His Spirit does not always strive with mankind. If the Lord is speaking to your heart, you move toward Him, you rush toward Him, you cry out to Him, you repent of your sins, you call upon Him, you seize with empty hands every ounce of the grace of God that is proffered to you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You are not past the point of no return if you hear His voice. But don't expect you'll ever hear it again. Don't presume that the Lord will just keep on giving you chance after chance, opportunity after opportunity, occasion after occasion to come to Him in faith, believing. Because if you break faith, He will put you to death. He really will. 